Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times, and we have a game to talk about. They actually played a game, Andy, and we were there at FedEx Field on Sunday night. Barely got there for the game Yeah, that traffic. We will get to the traffic woes uh, encountered by fans a little bit later in this cast, but... Uh, uh, let's start with the game. I mean, we'll, we'll let me give you an outline of what we're gonna do. We'll talk the game. We'll talk. We'll break down the sp- some specific storylines from the game. Josh Jackson, the defense's performance, uh, the special teams' performance. Um, we'll get into your rankings again this week. Uh, you're a poll voter, and so we're gonna take full advantage of the fact that you're a poll voter and, and talk about that. And uh, we'll wrap it up with a prediction on the Delaware game that's upcoming. We don't have a line on that, but we'll 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 make one. All right, Andy. Um, Thirty-one to twenty-four, Tech beats West Virginia. Obviously, a huge win. How big of a win is it? It's a pretty big win. I mean, I, I think West Virginia is better than I thought they were. Uh, certainly, reading some of the off-season uh, previews of the team, I think Will Greer is a legit quarterback. I think he's going to give a lot of teams problems this year. Uh, I think just that scheme. I mean, both offensively and defensively, the way they throw the ball, the way they spread teams out, run it. Uh, defensively, that three-three-five I think can present problems, and they've got some real playmakers in that secondary. Uh, Kaiser White, uh, I forget the other guy's name, another safety that came back from a knee injury last year. I mean, those guys are all over the field making plays. Uh, so I, I think in that venue against that team uh, with this young of a team for the Hokies, that was a very good win. I mean, you go out there and show that, uh, yeah, you lost all these pieces in offense, you still figured out a way to move the ball pretty well. Uh, all all told when you look at the final stats uh, find a way to win a game I know the defensive stats weren't quite what they wanted in that game but you know held them to 24 points ended up uh, holding strong at the end even with uh, somebody like Rover or uh, free safety uh, Terrell Edmonds was cramping up he wasn't even in the game at the end he's possibly the most important piece of that secondary so uh, the fact that they survived that at the end and they won this opening game uh, I think it's a pretty good win all in all yeah I wrote for the following day you know just the excuses were out there for Tech to grab onto if they wanted to you know I mean well, you mentioned Edmonds being on the sidelines the defense was gassed we'll talk more about defense in a bit but uh, you know even Fuente said the defense was gassed at the end because of how many plays they had to play in the first half and uh, you know you, you, you missed some field goals I mean there were there were things that could could really have deflated Virginia Tech and uh, you could look back on them with regret uh, the next day but it didn't happen I mean they, they got uh, a key touchdown drive uh, from Jackson uh, who led the you know who led a terrific drive and I, I wrote about that too I mean it seems to me and I'd like your thoughts on this too back in the day when when Tech would face somebody with comparable talent uh, they would need some sort of, as uh, Mike Tomlin would call it, a splash play. They would need some sort of pick six, or they would need some sort of blocked kick in order to... They'd need Beamer ball. They'd need Beamer ball, and hey, that's part of the game, and, and if you can win with it, great. But there were so many games you would see, and it would be like, okay, they need a drive here, and they just couldn't get the drive. It seems like now they're just well-equipped to to bounce back in a conventional manner and score uh, with offense. Yeah, I I think it was a pretty good approach that they had to that game. I don't feel like they did anything fancy. No. Uh, they just sort of out schemed West Virginia. I mean, 
you know, the two plays that stick out running wise for Jackson, who was a much better runner, I think, than anybody gave him credit for in the preseason. The whole preseason, all we ever heard about is, oh, I'm not Gerard. I can't run like Gerard. Right. No, he's not going to run like Gerard. There's no way. And then he goes and has more yards than Gerard Evans ever had in a game rushing. Uh, in the opener against a pretty decent defense. I know they were replacing a lot, but that's still a, a Big 12 defense. Uh, you know, They recruited pretty good players to that program. Uh, but the, the five-yard touchdown run that he had before halftime, the 46-yarder that he busted up the middle, uh, and they got kind of upended right at the goal line uh, in the fourth quarter, it, it was essentially the same play. And it's one of those ones where they had the jet sweep coming across, and they fake the handoff there, and there's another fake handoff going on another way, and West Virginia was crossed up and running to the sidelines, and it was wide open up the middle. Right. Uh, I mean, that's scheme. That is, uh, you know, running rep- repetition over and over, and, you know, you, you fake the jet sweep, you give the jet sweep. This is why they run the jet sweep so often is to threaten the perimeter like that. And I know fans see the jet sweep, and they kind of roll their eyes because of the history of that play at Virginia Tech, but it's to set things up later, and when, when it's that's up correctly it can break for a big play like that so that that was impressive and uh you know i think jackson played well i mean he he was composed uh he was only sacked once he faced quite a bit of pressure i think i think they hit him a few times in the backfield but he was able to roll out throw the ball away when he needed to uh didn't have any interceptions i mean that that's what fuente prizes most about his quarterback is don't turn the ball over don't put them into bad situations like that. And he put them in pretty good situations most of the time. And when it was, you know, sort of tracking to be a bad situation, he found a way out of it and just got rid of the ball. Yeah. Jackson found his way into this game. He didn't start off gangbusters for sure. I mean, he was four for his first 11. He had that uh, really bad miss of Cam Phillips in the, in the end zone. And they ended up having to kick a field goal uh, instead of a, a go ahead touchdown there or a game tying touchdown. I can't remember, but maybe it was the first would have been the first touchdown first points of the game. I'm not even sure, but, uh, you know, that was a pretty glaring misfire, but man, did he ever come back and show resiliency and, and, and lead that team when it mattered most. So, yeah, you know, I, I think I was a little colored, you know, leaving, walking out of there by the beginning of the game, but the more I looked at it and the, you know, you look at the numbers and all the things you just mentioned, playing a clean game and all that, uh, that's a, that's a pretty hellaciously good debut for, for Josh Jackson. Yeah, and I think the thing that uh, you know Fuente said it yesterday when we talked to him is like you kind of get the game manager label if you're not somebody that's just going to have these you know otherworldly speed or a cannon arm or something like that. But he's like, you can't just go out there and take a knee every every play. Like you have to make some plays at some point too. And Jackson did that. I mean, he uh, they had the little pump fake on the wide receiver screen and they hit a wide open Cam Phillips down the field. And you know you look at that and you go, that's a pretty easy throw to make. Nobody was hitting 20 yards of him. But he he didn't overthrow the ball. He didn't get excited in the moment, and he he put it up there where it was a little underthrown. But he gave his receiver a chance to make the play, and then you know you, you give Cam a chance to make the play. He's probably going to do it. Uh, so he he had that. He had the couple runs. Um, I think he he showed some good poise on some third downs to pick up conversions. I I think it was just a, a very good start. I'm you know as I said in my five thoughts, uh, going back to the Al Gro days. Let's let's not break out the anointing oils quite yet, but. Uh, for a first start on a stage like that, I think it was a, a very good start for him. Now, he'll go into week two as the leading rusher on the team. Uh, I think you noted in your in your 
five thoughts that you don't believe that to be the case that he's gonna he's not gonna finish the year as the leading rusher on the team like I wouldn't Gerard think did. so. No. Uh, why not? I mean, uh, you just think they they were using that against West Virginia because it was the matchup, or well, I, he had eleven carries, so it's not like he had twenty carries like Gerard ever had, and right. uh, you know, sack yardage factors in. So if he gets sacked a little bit more, you'll get some losses there. Uh, I don't think he's gonna break a forty-six yarder every week. Uh, I think that factors into it. Uh, I think as the season goes on, they, they certainly don't want to wear him down by having him run. Like, I would imagine this week uh, against an FCS opponent, they would prefer not to have their quarterback take too many hits in the in the running game. I mean, they're going to do what they have to do uh, to win the game. But I think this is one where you can really get your running backs going and, and shouldering a big load of it. So I, I think over time you see that, that number come uh, back to earth a little bit. And I would imagine the quarterback wouldn't be the leading rusher this year. Well, I think Cam Phillips really helped Jackson out, uh, helped him get into this game, uh, made a play for him on one of those Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges types plays where it's a 50-50 ball and, and he just goes and gets it. And he probably even got it interfered with when he caught the ball uh, for a 28-yard gain on a, on a crucial third down that they ended up scoring a touchdown going ahead that drive. Um, Cam, obviously, he finished with seven catches for, what, 138? 138, like. yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, he just – I think the question we had coming in about Cam was not about his talent level, but you know, would would other teams be able to neutralize him because he was the known quantity? Um, pretty good, pretty good first game for for Cam Phillips. Yeah, I I would like to revise my one thousand yard <laughs> prediction. Uh, I think that over is already a, or the under prediction I had that last week is already a loser. Uh yeah, that that's what that was my concern was. Uh, Teams are just going to double team him every time. I mean, he's and maybe they will now after that first game when they go, oh right, he's <laughs> clearly the best receiver on the team. Uh, I think the next leading guy was Sean Savoy, who had four catches behind that, probably two or three. I mean, it, it was it was that much of a spread. I mean, Cam caught nearly half of the receptions that they had in that game. Uh, yeah, very impressive. I mean, he was open. I mean, that's that's what good receivers do is they get open. It wasn't like he, he went up and made a play over receivers every single time. He just got wide open. And uh, to Jackson's credit, he looked to him quite a bit. And he said it after the game. He's like, you know, when I'm in the tough spot, that's the that's where I'm looking. I'm throwing it to him because he, he can make a play. So, uh, so far, so good on the Cam Phillips as a number one receiver uh, storyline. And, you know, he, he dressed the part afterwards. He had the those MC Hammer type glasses that he wore. I, I hope this is an ongoing thing. I hope each game afterwards – because I'll keep requesting Cam. A, he's a great quote. Uh, he had the you know the the Krispy Kreme with a hot sign on last year. That was a great one. He, he kind of razzed Jackson this year. It's like, were you surprised he ran that well? It's like, well, yeah, because he's a little on the chubby side. Right. Uh, that was a good one. That got some guffaws from the press corps there. Uh, yeah, you know, I'll request him every week, and I hope he keeps showing up like uh, you know Russell Westbrook does in some new outfit that's uh, rather interesting. When did eyewear become fashionable? I, I just—it was like it was, he looked like he was getting ready to go to a welding class. Well, it was when it was like those NBA finals where every game became like a fashion statement thing, and like Russell Westbrook wore like red glasses. And I don't even know if it had lenses in them. It was just like. I'm wearing glasses is the fashion statement here. I think that was there. I'm not an, a fashion expert. Perhaps it was earlier than that, but keep doing it. Keep bringing oh, yeah. them. I wonder how many glasses, pairs of glasses he owns. <laughs> it's gotta be. He's yeah. got the flip up shades. He's got the welder glasses. Uh, you know, hopefully next week we'll see them. I'm, I know there are people out there that actually understand fashion. They're like, these guys are such goons walking around in their untucked shirts and their baggy jeans. They're a bunch of doofuses when it comes to this stuff, but this is our perspective on fashion here. Don't you think like the Zach Morris uh, 
neon colored gas station sunglasses might be the next move for him. I mean, that, that'd be a good one. That'd be a good retro. Yeah. Look. He seems to be dipping back to the late eighties, uh, early nineties. So that would be a, that would be the time for him. I would champion that if he went with that. And yeah, you're right. It's the best of both worlds for Cam. And and, and credit to Cornelson and Fuente because they did get him open. They found ways to, to scheme him open, and he found ways to get himself open. And he also made the 50-50 plays. Uh, that, is, that is truly the best of both worlds for Virginia Tech. Defensively, not the best of both worlds, not the best of any world really for Bud Foster's group. Uh, gave up 592 yards. Got the sense, and I think you got the sense too, that he is not all that uh, mad about it because they got the win and because the offenses these days are going to give up yards. And they kept that team in the game in the first half for sure. I mean, that was a low-scoring affair in the first half, and and Tech's defense was responsible for for keeping them uh, solvent. But, uh, what I mean, what were your all overall impressions of the defense? What, what do they need to shore up on that side of the ball? Well, I, I think depth is a big issue still. Uh, West Virginia ran 89 plays. Uh, I think you could tell by the end of it that the defense was pretty gassed. Uh, they just came out and said it afterwards. I was pretty gassed. Tim Settle said he's never seen a pace like that in a game. So, yeah, he's a 335-pound guy out there. If you don't have capable backups, uh, that really becomes an issue. And I, I think you really saw that on the defensive line is when that second-team defensive line went in there. I mean, I noted it uh, at some point in the first or second quarter. It's like, oh, the entire second team defensive line's out there. And they went down and I think scored a touchdown on that drive or just kind of went right through them. So uh, that's something that they need to find some more depth there, some guys that they can trust putting into the game. They don't have a huge drop-off to that second group. Uh, secondary, I, th- I think, played pretty well given the, the situation. I mean, I know they gave up a ton of yards, but they still prevented a lot of deep plays uh, stood strong at the end, right, when West Virginia was coming down. Like I said, I think West Virginia is going to score some points this year. I think they're going to put up some yards. That's just what those big 12 teams do. I mean, if you play in an air raid offense, you're going to throw the ball all around. You're going to challenge uh, another team's secondary. I think uh, the goal of a secondary is to have a very short memory. If you do give up a play, come back and don't give up the next one. And that's where you can really get buried over and over. So, yeah, 592 yards, that's a lot of yardage in a game, but – in fact, it's the second most that Virginia Tech's ever given up uh, or since 1987 when the stats go back uh, and still won the game. Mm. Uh, most since they uh, lost to LSU 48-7 to in, in 2007. So uh, a lot of yards, but you know West Virginia puts up a lot of yards. Also had a lot of yards to uh, gain on the game. And you know I think special teams is a factor in this game and field position. I didn't notice this until yesterday when I was looking at the field position. West Virginia started at its 27-yard line or closer to its goal line on every single possession in the game. Wow. Virginia Tech started at it past its 39 times, including twice in West Virginia territory. So you look at the total yardage of the game, 590 to I think 460-something, and you go, oh, West Virginia just completely outgained them in that game. It's like, well, you know, Virginia Tech made up so many yards in the special teams that when you look at yardage that way, it, it's kind of a different picture. So, yeah, they gave up a ton of yards. They also had more field to defend throughout the entire game. Did you like my tweet, put another punt on the Barbie? I, or, I don't know if I saw that oh, one. Okay. I had a boom and onion tweet that was, you know, people have been saying that for a while, so it wasn't too. Uh, we got to keep coming up with Australian puns, though. By, by mid season, people will be like, just, could you guys stop? Just stop doing it. It's well, so annoying. Everything we know is just, it will just a be a like, single movie <laughs> and maybe uh, That's not a work. punt. This is a punt. <laughs> it's too bad you can't get the accent to come through on Twitter. 
It's like if there's one thing we will do, it is beat it, just run a joke into the ground. Like we will do it, and that is my vow to you this season: is the Australian puns will continue. The Australian puns and my picture of the guy shooting himself in the foot, which is uh, that will be used. Quite I like often. that picture. That was a good. You picture. were searching for that picture for a while, uh, so that was a good one. Now, now you have the stock image. You have a guy shooting himself in the foot and the rubber band bangs. Those are the two go tos from now on. Those are go tos, and also the trash dump, which you can say you know first half summary trash dump um which i'm sure we'll have one at least one of those this year i didn't think the first half of this game was a trash dump although it was, certainly was not it was as, pretty dull as exciting as the second half. well i had to write my notebook for the uh, the paper because you know deadline game you have to get the thing out by halftime or early in the third quarter and i was just struggling for notes in that one i ended up leading with beamer and, and don neeland in the pregame which you know the story already kind of been out there it's not like there was anything special but uh, there were no like huge plays. There were no special team gaffes, which is always a nice way to to get a notebook lead or any records or anything. And then the second quarter, third quarter starts. All of a sudden, it turns to the shootout up and down the field. And right. I've I've already filed this game this third quarter notebook that's incredibly boring. So next time, if they're gonna play a game like this, if we could have some action earlier in the game, that would be preferable to us beat writers. Agreed. Well, Oscar Bradburn had a great game as as we just talked about. A great debut in American football. He was an Australian rules only guy previous to <laughs> Sunday night. So that's a big plus in, the, in the, you know having a freshman punter you can rely on. Uh, Joey Sly is a guy you normally can rely on as a field goal kicker. Missed two very makeable ones inside of 40 yards. Any, any reason to be concerned about Joey? You know, if it was a younger kicker that doesn't didn't have a track record of success like he does, I think there would be more concern. Also, I think there'd be more concern if he missed those by like a mile. You know, as Frank would always say, it's not like he hoodwinked it. That was one of Frank's favorite things. That was a very uh, Frank golfing term. He's like, well, he didn't hoodwink it into the woods there. It's like, no, it wasn't a hoodwink. I don't know if that's the exact words that he was always looking for, but it's what he used. Uh, I mean, his field goals were close. I mean, they if they missed, they missed by a matter of inches or almost looked like they went over the bar. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, if it, it was a larger miss than that or if Joey had a, a longer history of struggling – that would be more of a concern. Uh, as it is, he's a guy who's a four-year starter who probably is going to fix things. I, I don't know if there were mechanical issues or operational issues. I know they have a new holder this year. Brad Burns, the holder. Uh, so we'll see how that does going forward. But other than that, I think special teams played pretty well. I mean, I mentioned the, the field position. Joey had uh, six kickoffs. All were touchbacks. Uh, Brad Burn averaged 46 yards on eight punts, somewhere in that range. He had a 53-yarder, a 54-yarder. Colton Taylor, the long snapper, got down there on that one down at the three-yard line. Um, Virginia Tech had a 93-0 to zero advantage in kickoff return yards. Hmm. Uh, had the 44-yarder from James Clark, who was a step away from breaking it. Uh, you know, Greg Stroman didn't have a big game in the punt return, but he didn't have any mistakes. Uh, you know, I think he had six fair catches, somewhere five or six fair catches. All of them were on punts shorter than 40 yards. I think in the past he might have been tempted to, to try to make something on nothing in that, and that's usually where he invites disaster on those type of things. So maybe that shows some growth on his part that he's uh, fair catching those and understanding that you know it's, it's better for the team if they just take that field position and not uh, you know not let a ball bounce and it bounces back another 15 yards or something like that. And then you know the one punt that West Virginia did return it went for negative three yards, so they had the they had the uh, pretty good coverage on Virginia Tech's part. So other than Sly's two missed field goals, I know those were big. It would have uh, allowed Hokies fans to breathe a lot easier at the end and maybe us deadline writers a little bit more ease in writing our game stories. 
Uh, I think special teams, it was, it was a pretty positive first game. I want listeners to know that you're not looking down at any sheet of paper. Or any, your special team statistics game is strong. Well, I wrote this yesterday in my uh, my practice report, so those numbers were pretty fresh in my mind when yeah. I was going through oh, them. Nice work there. That was that was there. That ninety three to nothing was a you know that's a jarring number. You yeah. Can't get well, what they mentioned that yesterday too, so that's what caused me to look that up. I'm sure that some of these stats are wrong. People will be like, "Oh, well, actually, it was five punts." <laughs> Well, you. This was your first experience covering a Virginia Tech West Virginia game, and I waxed poetic last week about how the, you know these colors, even though that West Virginia didn't really wear its colors, these colors are college football to me. Um, I love when these two teams go at it. What did you think of the atmosphere, the whole experience of seeing these guys square off? Uh, the atmosphere itself, like cr- the crowd, I thought was pretty good. Fantastic. Uh, you know, they said it was sixty-seven thousand. I thought it was more than that. It According According to Michael Phillips, who covers the Redskins uh, for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and now he's also the sports editor there, but he's covered the Redskins, he said that that's actually the the capacity. Oh, uh, really? So about 67. Even though they put 82 on the sheet, it's because you, you can get 82 in there if you have a concert oh, okay. uh, where people are on the lawn. Um, you, but for a football game, it's now about 67. So it was pretty much a sellout. Okay. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty full stadium. I thought it was a very – uh, rowdy stadium. Uh, the pregame was great. It's you know the country roads intro for West Virginia, the understand man for Virginia Tech. It's like everything you wanted out of this rivalry between the two teams. I didn't you know see a lot of the tailgating in the parking lot. Uh, it sounds like some of the fans didn't see a lot of tailgating in the parking lot. They were in the uh, traffic getting into the parking lots. Uh, seemed like a pretty good atmosphere around the stadium once you actually got in. Uh, I I think it was a very good way to renew this rivalry. Uh, even though FedEx Field just overall is, is pretty lousy. Yeah, I solicited, and you can see on my blog uh, if you want to check out what people were saying about FedEx, but it sounds like just a, an utter disaster in terms of trying to get to the stadium. Uh, somebody sent me a picture, and I, and I apologize, I don't have their name here handy, but of, of 12.30 p.m., they were on the the road, the one road that leads into the stadium lots. You know, Of course, they don't open the lots until 3.30, and you can actually see the stadium just off in the distance, and everyone stopped, and they got their tables out, and they're tailgating in the middle of the road. It's just... What, I mean, I, I know it's probably a money thing that they didn't want to pay for the extra security that early or whatever. But how could you not negotiate that into the contract that open the lots at like noon, like these two fan bases love to tailgate. Like they're famous for tailgating and they're going to want to do this in the season opener. They're going to be so excited about this. I I bet you if you gave them the opportunity, some of them would have showed up at 7 AM just to sit out there all day. Uh, I mean, I guess it's from a security standpoint, maybe they want to get them, the people to get a little bit all lubed up for this game, as as uh, Berman would say, uh, they're gonna find a way. And even if that's sitting in traffic and starting their tailgate while sitting on the on ramp, like I saw some people setting up to do, where, where I was sitting there for like an hour and a half, just not moving. I just think, like my gosh, you have to understand this is a little bit different from an NFL game 
uh, in the perspective that you know fans just tailgate more at college games. They well, really that, like doing that. That's the thing, and I can speak from a guy who wanted to get lubed up before games when I was in college. And if you want to, you'll find a way. Where regardless. there's a will, there's a way. Right, but but I think in co- <laughs> I think the difference between college and pro is I think there's a really large segment of the college fan population that just wants to sip a beer and have a picnic. I mean, they, they just want to be outside and grilling, and and you know, it's not you know, let's help see how smart we can get uh, there's there's that segment of the population oh yeah there's a number of there's, fans there's a, that did that at this game of course but i, I just I, I feel like the 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 that's not a good reason like the, the the reason of uh well it gives them too much time to get lubed up it's just not a good enough reason traffic flow is very important and that would really really help your traffic flow a lot if you could just get people coming in at all hours uh before the game yeah i like I've heard people say that FedEx is consistently voted as like the worst NFL stadium that's out there, and I can see why. Like the parking situation is pretty lousy. Uh, you know, getting into the stadium, this, the, those roads just aren't meant to have that many cars on them at the time. I mean, even when I got up close, I like had to merge across like four lanes of traffic to turn where I wanted to go. I'm sure a lot of people were honking their horns and saying very not nice things at me, but I had to get across four lanes to get there. I'm sorry, I'm the media. I'm important. Let me get across here. <laughs> Uh, no, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I can see why they want to build a new Redskin stadium. Uh, you know, I'm not in favor of public money to build stadiums or anything like that, but I mean, they need a new stadium and I think it's just, I don't know. It's, I, I've been around the new Viking stadium. I haven't been in it. Uh, it's majestic. I mean, you go outside of it, it's like, wow, this place is amazing. And there's, you know, pretty good parking, even for downtown Minneapolis, that new Falcon stadium looks outstanding. I mean, Jerry world is like a, a spectacle going there. FedEx is just like a place. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even close to anything. Like you're like, Oh, it's Washington DC. No, it's not. It's like way out there. Well, they shut the Metro down. So yeah, you can't even just, take the Metro in and out. You just stay downtown. Allows, I mean, it, you know, this is a minor complaint from the press box. I'm sure all NFL stadiums are like that, but you got this weird angle way down there at the end. I don't know. Fan cares about that, but I just, you know, it just it it could be a much better venue. If they're ever going to play this game again, I would not do it at FedEx. I would do it at the the on field sites, or you know, even even Charlotte, even the you know that stadium is not brand new, and I know the Panthers want to upgrade that and stuff. But I think that's just a much better situation. I mean, you go to a game there, uh, you stay downtown. There's stuff to do in downtown Charlotte. You can walk to the stadium. The traffic's not a nightmare. I, I just think everything about the Charlotte experience to me was much better than what the D.C. experience was. Or and that's the the Landover, Maryland experience was. That's why I like Pittsburgh, too. It's similar to that. I yeah, mean, Pittsburgh's a great yeah, – I mean, stuff yeah. you can do. It, it's probably too big for a college team to play there. Whenever they play there, there's just you know, tons of yellow empty seats. It's just like a – you know stoplight right in your face all these yellow seats how empty the stadium is most of the time but it's a really i I like the atmosphere i think it's good well here's the thing here's my opinion if if martinsville speedway which is built in ridgeway you know which ridgeway is a is a a map dot you know and, and if they can get people in and out of that place uh fairly efficiently then anybody should be able to do it you know give it even their with their limitations fedex field is an embarrassment for how they move the move the traffic and they just don't seem to care very much it's funny because i i had lunch in downtown dc uh with a friend who's uh both a redskins an ardent redskins fan and a huge hokey fan 
Okay, and he said he hasn't gone to a game in FedEx in years, and he lives in Northern Virginia. And, and you know, as as and I was like, I'm thinking, well, why? You know, can't you well, can't you endure it a little bit? You know, and then I went and saw exactly what it looked like and said, oh, I understand now. It makes perfect sense. I think a lot of Hokies fans are going to say that from now on. I mean, I had people tweeting me is like, I went there for the Boise State game, and I said never again. Like, yeah. the, and it wasn't because of the maybe part of it was because of the outcome, and oh, they never win at FedEx or anything like that. But part of it is just like. It's a real pain in the butt to get there. This is not the greatest experience once you are actually there. So, uh, you know, there are no games scheduled there in the future. We'll we'll see if they actually do ever go back there. Well, speaking of atmosphere. That's right. It's time for the Pimpleton Minute. Uh, I, I watched Pimp, uh, Khalil Pimpleton warm up. Uh, thought he looked really good out there. That's about all you get to see of him. He didn't, well, he didn't actually play, I don't think. I, I do have a nugget for the Pimpleton Minute, however. All right. Uh, he did not get in the game, which is very disappointing. Uh, Fuente, to my knowledge, he did not. Up, I, I, did not uh, I did not see a participation report. I didn't notice him in the game at all. So maybe yeah. special teams or something. I, I doubt I'm it. pretty sure that song would have played on the loudspeaker as he entered the game. Uh, It'd be a travesty it. if it didn't. It's a Virginia Tech home game, uh, technically, so they should have done it. But I have a secondhand story here from uh, Ed Lane, who's a radio personality in, in Roanoke and Lynchburg. Uh, Ed told me after the game, and I – and I didn't see this, so I'm just going by his words. But he said there was a hokey defender that was taunting uh, the West Virginia fans right after the game. And I'm not going to identify this guy because, uh, I, like I said, I didn't see it. But this hokey defender was getting into it with these West Virginia fans, you know, just having a good time, uh, mocking them. And, and who pulled this guy away? But Khalil Pimpleton. Who saved the day? But Khalil Pimpleton. We don't have a situation where somebody's getting suspended. We don't have a situation where somebody uh, has a, you know, a terrible off-the-field distraction this week, all because of real deal Khalil. If this is what the Pimpleton Minute is going to become, this is going to be a real challenge to stretch this out every week if he actually red shirts this year. I think it'll be kind of fun to find ways. I mean, this is a good story. This is a, I mean, he is a, he's a hero despite not having played. I mean, this is how you earn the trust of your coaching staff. You you do things behind the scenes. You wait your turn, and you get in there, and then you tear it up. He looks bigger. He's bigger than C.J. Carroll. I noticed that. They were standing next to each other. Well, I mean, you're not – that's not terribly tall. No, but, you know, I, I you know this water bug I've been talking up and had never Spit seen fire before. receiver. <laughs> no, and I also, think the fact that, you know, Sean Savoy had four catches for – I forget exactly how many yards. He was actually the second leading receiver in that game. He's a true freshman who was from D.C. Would have been a good story if we could have talked to him. Uh, you know, the fact that he's a true freshman that played right away, that kind of had a big role, kind of makes me think that maybe Pimpleton uh, might redshirt this year. I know he got there early, but he did play quarterback in high school. So maybe maybe that uh, adjustment to receivers is, is a bigger deal than uh, maybe we had made of it in the preseason. Well, I'm still holding out hope. And you got to think that if he doesn't play against Delaware, then he probably is on on a path to get redshirted. Yeah, yeah. things change, though. I mean, you get nicked up at receiver, sure. and all of a sudden, I mean, they're not deep at receiver. So if they had to go further down the depth chart, he's you know right there pretty quickly. Okay, let's talk Delaware briefly. <laughs> Thumbnail sketch of Delaware. They won last week, what, 22-3 to against in-state rival? Um, the fierce rivalry with Delaware State, okay. whose mascot I could not name for you. Uh, I know they're the alma mater of Joe Flacco. Uh, that's about all I know. I think they have the winged helmets like Michigan, don't they? The blue oh, hens. That's right. They're the. They're not the blue hoes. That's Presbyterian. Yeah, they're blue the blue hoes. hens. Okay. 
Uh, the only thing I know about this team, I haven't really dipped in any kind of research or anything like that yet. That's for later in the week is they're coached by Danny Rocco, uh, former UVA assistant, you know, Al Groh, a long time, uh, you know, number two guy with him coached at Liberty, then moved on to Richmond. And this is his first year, uh, at Delaware, which is uh, kind of an interesting move moving to, uh, I think Delaware is in the same conference as Richmond and he had pretty good success at Richmond, uh, I think there's maybe a question of how many, how much resources Richmond was actually going to devote to the, the program. The stadium could probably use some upgrades. Uh, Delaware historically has been pretty good at the FCS level. I think, uh, you know, certainly when Flacco was there, they were a playoff team all the time. Uh, probably uh, weren't <laughs> recently if they were hiring a new coach like uh, Rocco. But you know, that's really the only interesting storyline i think in this game I, I don't know how much more i can talk about this well i know that delaware is a very manageable drive to atlantic city so if uh if with babcock ever wants to do a home and home i'm okay <laughs> i would imagine that's probably not high on his <laughs> priority two for list. one perhaps well uh well danny rocco also sired is he the uncle of michael rocco or the father of michael rocco the the former he Virginia is the uncle i believe i okay. think frank rocco is the father right okay Okay, well, I mean, so it's a football-loving family, um, and certainly with all his ties to the area, that's one storyline uh, for Delaware. But in terms, I think, Dow- of- I think Dowdy talked to him, and we'll be writing a, a notebook lead on that. So he's known Rocco for twenty plus years at least. Let me phrase it this way then, rather than you know, oh, how close is this game going to be, that kind of thing. What What do you think if this is the type of game where Tech can work on things? Uh, what do you think they're going to work on? What do you think is a priority for them? Well, I think the biggest priority is not to let down from what last week was. I mean, historically, that's been the case. Whenever Virginia Tech gets a little too you know, full of itself or high on itself, they come out and they're not sharp the next week. And that happened a couple times last year. Where I know I'm not going to compare Syracuse to Delaware, but I mean, that's when they got the highest in the rankings. They get tripped up by Syracuse up in the Carrier Dome. Uh, you know, they come off a couple big wins later in the year. They lose at Georgia Tech at home. Georgia Tech was a, a pretty good team. Nine, I think they won nine games on the year. But it seems like whenever they do really well, they they sort of take that step back. And this is a game where you cannot play your best and still win handily because it's just you know that's the way it is with an FCS team. So I, th- I think what Fuente would like to see is this team comes out with the same kind of intensity that it did last week. I think. Uh, human nature is to not do that, to, to sort of ease off a little bit. And that's the challenge this week for the coaches, especially in a short week, is to not have that sort of uh, step back, at least, at least in terms of uh, intensity. I think uh, on the field, they'd, they'd like to see them run the ball and really just sort of control the line of scrimmage and dominate that way. You know, If they could run the ball 60 times in this game for 250 yards, I think they'd love that. I think they, they would love to go out there and just be like, they just physically manhandled this uh, team from a lower division, uh, I think that would make them feel better about sort of the direction of this team. And defensively, I think if if you had a game where they just didn't give up anything, <laughs> I know that's obviously the goal in every game, but after you give up so many yards in the first one, if you can come back and just sort of lock down uh, Delaware and not allow much uh, in terms of yardage, I think they'd feel better about that. Well, usually games like this are the ones where like sort of the, the backups are licking their chops, you know, oh, I can't wait to get an opportunity to play. But but t- but you're right, Tech plays so many running backs and so many receivers just in any average game that it's going to be probably kind of fun for all of those guys just to see what they can do uh, when they get their opportunities, because you don't get all, you know, you don't get a ton of opportunities in, in Fuentes off. That's true. Uh, and, and I think that's interesting. If you're a running back, you get 10 carries, you're going to make the most of those 10 carries. Yeah. Uh, 
And of course, this week, it's very important they have a brand new helmet. The uh, Hokey Stone Ice. I don't know what they would call it. It's a white helmet with a Hokey Stone VT on it. I don't know what uniforms they're going to pair it up with. Although I talked with Whit Babcock in the spring, and he said they weren't going to have any fancy you know, Hokey Stone black-gray uniforms. So he, he might be a liar if they come out with Hokey Stone uniforms <laughs> of this. I don't want to call him a liar, but you know that's a pretty bald-faced lie straight to my face <laughs> at that point. So I have to, we'll see what they actually have in this game. I hope the coaches didn't spend too much time focusing on choosing the uniforms and not preparing for the game, though, because that's always the biggest concern that I have. My sources say that's all they've been thinking about. I mean, they know that they beat West Virginia and they know they can focus on uniforms now, and that's all they're thinking. You about. better say that you're being sarcastic before <laughs> some ag site picks us up. It's like, it sounds like Virginia Tech's so full of itself that it's only using uniforms this week. It's only focused on uniforms. Now, you when you had that. Conversation with Whit Babcock, you also uh, briefly, I think, addressed the Hokey Pokey's demise. No, didn't I you, didn't. That was, didn't. That was that was that was like later. In the spring. This is well before the Hokey Pokey. Okay, uh, I, I, I haven't talked to anybody about the Hokey Pokey's demise. Given the nature of this matchup, I think this. You know, there's one one person writes the okay, they don't want to let down story, and then the other guy writes something else. Uh, and I have been assigned, I have been assigned to write about the hokey pokey's demise. Um, they've decided not to do that. And I think, well, well they do it at halftime, I think. Oh, they're going to do it at halftime. Yeah. I think then what am I writing this story for? It's not going to be in the traditional between the third and fourth quarter. Who cares? Let me go full wrestling heel on the hokey pokey here for a Please second. Do. Get rid of this thing. Get it out of there. I don't want to see it between the third and fourth quarters. I don't care. How many people that have been doing it for 30-some years – and I understand they started as like a like a, the tuba section or something, just kind of did it. Yeah, they just sort of did it as like a lark. You know, they're, they're like we're going to just do this. It's going to be funny, kind of a kitschy little thing. And then all of a sudden it became this full stadium type. Everybody get up and do the hokey pokey. Like just – even when you hear that, it just sounds like – just old fuddy-duddy tradition. Like, get it out of there. It doesn't need to happen at what's supposed to be traditionally the time of the game where you want to get that stadium just jumping. Like, you want to be very excited heading to the fourth quarter. And I understand this probably has no outcome bearing on the outcome of the game. It's not like, oh, this team was pumped going into the fourth quarter and they won because they didn't do the hokey pokey. But if you want to have a stadium experience that's exciting – that just doesn't bring everything to a standstill, like doing a children's dance between the third and fourth quarters. I'm all for it. So I say get rid of it. If you want to do it, do it at halftime. I felt like whenever they did it in the past, like 95% of the stadium just did not care. Well, and and that's not a good way to go into the fourth quarter. That's that's the that's what I would latch on to. Because I think to play devil's advocate, maybe your 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 side of it sort of blurs the line, and I'm on your side. It blurs the line between college and pro a little bit, uh, even more than it already is. Uh, you know, keep your traditions, love your traditions, embrace your traditions, all those things. But you're right. It was such a half-assed uh, – <laughs> attempt by the people in the stands to actually do it. Uh, I don't think people, you know, there's, there's probably a small sector of people who really do care. And I've heard from a few of them and I respect that they, you know, that they don't want to see something they love go, but I think they've been outvoted here by, by the, by the other 60,000 people in the stadium that don't care. And, it's a participation and, vote yeah, and it has yeah. been for a while. Yeah. And I think, uh, so you know, if they do do it at halftime, I need to find out exactly when they're going to do it and why they're going to do it. If I'm going to write this, I, I, don't I really think so. I think they said it might become part of a 
tradition when the marching Virginians are on at halftime. I don't know if they perform at every halftime or whatever it is, but I think that's when they would do it. And I'm like, you know, fine. Nobody cares about halftime. Nobody's paying attention at halftime uh, fan-wise. That's when they all go to the bathroom or go get concessions or something. So if people want to do it, they can do it. I'm sure between the third and fourth quarter, there'll be some, you know, lifelong Virginia Tech and the fan and fan in the crowd that defiantly stands up and does the hokey pokey by themselves. Uh, you know, if it'd be a free note for a notebook or something <laughs> like that, but I guarantee you somebody will do it. It's like, this is the, when we do the hokey pokey and we will do it for life. But you know, what? get rid of it, put something else in there, start a new tradition. That's, you know, interesting. You're right. The halftime is the time to do that. Halftime is the time for silly nonsense. I'm not saying this is what they should do, but like during Auburn's national championship season, just sort of organically, they started some tradition where like the team would huddle up on the side of the field that they had just finished. And I forget if there was a song playing or whatever it was, but they would break the huddle and the entire team would sprint to the other end zone. And the crowd went bananas. They were just bonkers for this thing. It was unbelievable. Like it's like, I don't know how it started or why it started, but it just sort of developed into this thing. And, you know, in obviously a national championship season, everybody embraces something that, like, works. Right. Like, you know, and they had a couple games early in the season where they needed fourth quarter comebacks. They played Clemson that year and they were down early. They needed uh, to come back against South Carolina, I believe. It was a close game. And it just sort of became this thing that happened. And it wasn't like the, the you know, the, the school forced it on people and said, this is the time of the game that you do this. It just kind of happened with the team. And that was kind of cool. You know, maybe they can develop something like that. I don't know. But it, it was certainly better than seeing fans stand up and do the hokey pokey. Well, they were still trailing Alabama, right? Going into the fourth quarter. That that was like the Well, that was game, that was it? at Alabama. So that oh, was okay. A, so they didn't do it on the road. Well, I think they did it on the road. And I think the small segment of the Auburn fan base was expecting it at that point And it sort of energized them. I don't know. You know we talk about it doesn't have any impact. Yeah. You know, Maybe something like that would have an impact on the team or get them excited. You know what? Yeah, the, we had some success with the crowdsourced FedEx uh, thing blog there. I mean, if you have ideas that you think would be uh, good replacements, uh, I'd love to hear them uh, personally. I know Andy probably would. <laughs> His inbox is full. Send all of yours to at Aaron McFarlane, <laughs> please. Thank you. All right. AP voter is sitting next to me, and he voted tech. Where did you, where did you put tech? I had Tech 16th. 16th. That's up three spots. And the rest of the world said, no, sir. They're going to be 18th. Well, here's what happened. I had them behind Miami. I had them behind Louisville last week. Uh, Florida dropped down because they lost to Michigan and was pretty ugly doing it. Uh, Louisville struggled with Purdue. I was not overly impressed with how they played in that game. Uh, Miami didn't play anybody. You know, Bethune-Cookman, all due respect to Bethune-Cookman. Uh, so I did this as sort of a reward to Virginia Tech for actually playing a good opponent in the first game. Actually challenge yourself in a game that you could have lost in the in the first game. So uh, I reordered uh, Virginia Tech, uh, Louisville, and Miami in that order as opposed to having Louisville, Miami, Virginia Tech in the first poll. And that could change uh, after this week. Miami's not playing. Uh, they get canceled the game at Arkansas State, so that – you know, you don't have another data point uh, to look at with stuff like that. That, that. And all this can change over time. And I think week two, there's some pretty big games that could shuffle up uh, the top of my poll. But for now, uh, you know, I wanted to reward teams that actually played somebody in the first week. USC Stanford will settle some things for you this yeah, week. Yeah, I'm not sure that I have USC right. They're fifth, and they did not look overly impressive in that first game. And I know Stanford went to Australia and beat down Rice, but I think a lot of teams are going to beat down Rice. I think maybe I have undersold Stanford 
uh, in these polls. I had Stanford 14th uh, to start out. You know, this week we'll know for sure who's better between USC and Stanford. So that could be completely uh, reversed by next week. But uh, a couple other interesting things. I, I moved Michigan up three spots. I was kind of on the fence about Michigan because they lost so many starters uh, coming into this year. But they dominated that Florida game. I mean, uh, and I'm, I know Florida's offense is terrible, but uh, the only way they scored was on two pick sixes. And those are sort of fluky things. I think Michigan just manhandled them, and I, I think they'll uh, be a team to to reckon with this season. I mean, they're going to be a difficult out for a lot of schools, even though they're pretty young. Uh, the other one was Florida State. I dropped them to 10th. And uh, originally, before the DeAndre Francois injury news, I probably was not going to drop them much, if at all. I mean, you, you play the number one team in the country that everybody knows has been the best program for the last decade. Uh, you know, I think Alabama looked as good as it's ever looked in that game. Uh, they beat them mostly because of special teams mistakes from Florida state. Uh, I know the offense wasn't really producing a whole lot for Florida state, but I mean, they they had a punt block, missed a field goal. They fumbled a kickoff. I mean, you do that against Alabama, you're going to lose that game. But, uh, that defense is a top five caliber defense. It's just a question of whether the offense can keep up. So if they had just lost and not lost their quarterback, I maybe have kept them at three, maybe dropped them to four or something like that. But losing Francois, I think sort of changes the outlook of that team. And so much of this poll right now is still projection that, uh, you know, I moved them down to 10th. I think they're still a really good team. I think that defense can still carry them, but they're starting a true freshman at quarterback who might be talented, but, uh, has never played at the college level before. So I'm going to have to see some more to, to justify keeping Florida state that high, but I didn't want to drop them down a whole lot because, you know, you say over and over, Oh, I want to see you play competition in the, the non-conference when they actually do. And they lose a game like that. I don't think you can be, you know, uh, two-faced like that and say, well, you lost uh, your first game, so I have to drop you a whole lot. I think that's sort of being uh, uh, disingenuous as a voter. Well, I have a bone to pick with you about my Terrapins. Uh, <laughs> you know, they go on the road as an 18-and-a-half-point dog against the team that you had ranked last week, and I know you had reservations about ranking them, but that's uh, too bad. You ranked them, uh, and now they're not ranked this week. At least by you. I didn't even see if they were ranked by you. Yeah, real, real I think people. that that whole situation was more of a mea culpa on my part about <laughs> ranking Texas in the first place. Uh, I don't think you – know, it was a good win for Maryland going in there and winning like that, beating a team that a lot of people uh, you know, had in the rankings, myself included, in the preseason. But I think that told me more about Texas than it did about Maryland probably. Uh, I considered Maryland. I considered them, but I think there were some other teams at the bottom of my poll that had uh, bigger wins in that opener. I think UCLA, you know, Tennessee beat Georgia Tech, which I, I was considering Georgia Tech last week uh, in the poll, so I moved them up a little bit. Uh, you know, keep doing it, Maryland, and I'll put you in in the poll. But uh, for now, it, it was not enough. I think you know that one kind of looks like uh, you know the Notre Dame beating. Uh, Texas last year, what was it like? Fit or uh, Texas beat Notre Dame, and everybody's like, "This this game is amazing. These two teams are unbelievable." And they both ended up being lousy at the end of the year. So uh, we'll see what the Terps are by the end of the year. I, I do have some reservations about them. Yeah, Terps have a really easy slate uh, up until they go to Ohio State in Week Five, so they could be four and zero, and I think that would force your hand there. Okay, let's get to our predictions. Uh, there is no line yet on this game because of the uh, FCS foe here in Delaware, but there will be one on Saturday. So let's just set it uh, sort of arbitrarily here at 30, okay, because that's about right around where these games typically land. Uh, 
in Vegas and, and we'll give our scores. And then if we'll, you know, we'll look at the actual line to decide whether or not we covered or not. I covered last week. I had the Hokies. You had the tenor of the game, right? You said tech would win uh, by three. Um, you were very close to the score. You said 27, 24, 27, 24. And it was 30, 31, 31, 24. 31, 24. I had 30, they 30 basic, to They basically like dropped a pass in the end. So at the end that would have made it a lot closer. So absolutely. So, but not a winner. I could not take that ticket to the window and say, pay me my money. No. Do you think they would have gone for two? Holgerson said he would have. Did he? Yeah, after the fact. Okay. <laughs> like the, the West Virginia guy uh, tweeted that out, the beat writer, and I retweeted it because I thought that was interesting. And all these Hokies fans were like, yeah, but he didn't have the chance, did he? Oh, who cares what he had would have done? It's like you guys were praising Fuente for saying the exact same thing last <laughs> year in that ACC title game at Clemson. It's like, that's right, aggressive, way to be coach. And then the, the tables have turned. It's like, well, you never got that chance now, did you? It's like <laughs> – Come on, guys. Can you keep it consistent with how you're you're tweeting to people with this They're stuff? They're fans, man. Give them a break. They I will not give them a break. Be consistent with it. That's what all I ask. What was the score of that ACC title game? It was very similar to 31 uh, I think it was 42-35. Oh, it was higher, it was higher okay. scoring. Yeah, it. Higher than that. yeah, it was a touchdown score, though. Okay, so we'll, we'll set the line at 30 here. Chance for you to bounce back. Uh, which way are you going uh, on the line? If there? it's 30, I'll take the Hokies. I'll, I'll say like 45-10. to 10. Uh, I think they – you know, I think they're a much better team than Delaware. I think they'll show it on the field. the The one concern there is, you know, how rested are they are on short rest? How prepared are they for after sort of an emotionally draining game like that? Uh, I think Fuente's pretty good about getting them up for for games week after week like this. So I'll take them to cover. Bonus prediction: leading rusher for the game. <clears throat> I will say. Now, Peoples had the the ankle injury last week that, you know, people that watch on TV are like, is he okay? Does that look really serious? Uh, Fuente said after the game that the trainers told him he could have gone back in. Uh, I wonder if maybe that's a little swollen this week, uh, how much he'd actually play in a game where they don't necessarily need him. I'll I'll say Deshaun McLeese. I thought McLeese ran the ball really well in that game. Uh, I think they sort of know what they have in Trayvon a little bit more, maybe want to see a little bit more out of McLeese since he's only really played in two games in college. Uh, So I'll, I'll go with McLeese. It's like you're looking at my sheet here. I had 41 to 10, and I had McLeese. You know I'm a McLeese guy. I said he'd be the leading rusher this year, and he would. He go looked over really that good number. on the, uh, that one series. He really jump started the running game. Uh, you know, had a, a tough run, and then had a really good 12 yard touchdown run where he broke some tackles, and that showed that sort of. You know, you look at his size, you say he's not a power runner, but he broke some tackles. He, he made a play for him. So that, that was true to form of what Fuente has been saying about him in the preseason. Well, every week our or every day, our company sends out an email telling us what what were the biggest uh, you know traffic movers on, on on the website that day. And I was really pleased to see that your five thoughts was the number one for the entire week. And it doesn't surprise me. I've been telling people for years, or as long as you've been on the beat, that that's the best thing that we have in our paper every week during football season. No question about it. So if you haven't checked that out yet, go back and read it. You'll get a lot out of that. Um, Andy, we'll get back to. Are you going to do one with Mike next week? You think? Barbara? I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, you know, we we kind of ran out of time this week to do that because of the the late Sunday night. Neither of us got back till Monday. He had to go to UVA to cover the press conference on Monday, so that complicated things. And then, even if we recorded it Monday night, we would have posted it Tuesday morning, and that would have been like right on top of this one. So the first week was just kind of tough. Uh, this week, I don't think he'll be at Virginia Tech. I think he'll be at the Indiana-UBA game. Okay. Uh, so m- maybe not this week either. We- we'll figure it out. And certainly, 
uh, with bigger games, uh, maybe there's more to talk about after the fact. But we'll figure it out. I think we'll get some of those in there. It might not be a weekly thing, though. Okay. Well, we appreciate everyone tuning in to the, to the one we do. Uh, it does get good numbers, and we really do appreciate that. Uh, be sure to check out all our coverage of the Delaware game online at Roanoke.com. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next week.